Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. There are things that go bump in the night, and we are the ones who bump back. Somewhere in the cosmos, perhaps, intelligent life may be watching these lights of ours, aware of what they mean. Or do our lights wander a lifeless cosmos? I couldn't help but one point in my discussions with General Secretary Gorbachev. I couldn't help but say to him, just think how easy his task and mine might be in these meetings that we held. If suddenly there was a threat to this world, from another planet outside in the universe. Well, I don't suppose we can wait for some alien race to come down and threaten us, but I think that between us we can bring about that realization. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 10 of Cryptique. As always, I'm joined by the original pinball wizard himself, Ryan. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing very well today, actually. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited to get into this story. Uh, I know that you guys like to hear about demons and exorcisms and stuff like that, so tonight we're going to kind of be talking about, I don't know, what would you call them, the superhero of exorcisms? <laughs> sure. Something like yeah. that. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. First of all, we're collecting subscribers this week. So if you haven't already subscribed, we ask that you take a quick second to do so now. Check out the Movie Hell podcast where they recently revisited the superhero movie Darkman. I haven't seen that in a long time. You guys, uh, what's your uh, take on Darkman? Good stuff? Bad stuff? Uh, a bit of both. There's a lot of cheese in yeah. that time period. It's very much of its era. I liked it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know that I would recommend it, honestly. Well, listeners, Crypt Keepers, go out and listen to that episode and see what you think. Let us know. You can let them know at Movie Howl, or you can let us know here at Crypty. So, uh, I want you guys to help me welcome my new writer for Exploring Evil, Darian, as she penned the Calgary Slasher episode and... Just let us know what you think of the new writing style. I think she's doing a great job. But we know you guys like to hear about exorcisms and demons and whatnot. So what are we talking about tonight? Tonight we're talking about Gabriel Amort, who lived from May 1st, 1925 to September 16th, 2016. He was an Italian Catholic priest and exorcist of the Diocese of Rome who performed tens of thousands of exorcisms over 60 plus years as a priest. As the appointed exorcist for the Diocese of Rome, Amort was the chief exorcist of the Vatican. Now that's a title. Yeah, no kidding. Amort was born in Medina. Is that how you pronounce Medina? That's what I'd say. Emilia Romagna, Italy, on the 1st of May, 1925. He was ordained a Roman Catholic priest in 1954 and became an official exorcist in June of 1986 under the tutelage of Candido Amantini. Hopefully that's right. I like how you threw a little stank. Did I? Candido. Well, you're like Candido 
I'm a teen. All right, yeah. You have to. <laughs> it's you good. Have to. Yeah. Nevertheless, Amort accepted his role with the blessing of his superiors. He was a member of the Society of St. Paul, the congregation founded by James Alberoni in 1914. Alberoni. Alberoni. In 1914. <laughs> In 1990, he founded the International Association of Exorcists and was president until he retired in 2000. You know, that that could be a, an okay band name. What's that? Association of Exorcists? <laughs> yeah, International <laughs> Association of Exorcists. He was honorary president for life of the association until his death. Amort wrote for the then largest Catholic weekly magazine in the world, La Familia Cristiana. His specialty was Marian theology and spirituality, and he later became the editor of the Society's magazine, La Madre de Dio. So, the mother of God, right? I think so, yeah. And Mort's favorite film was The Exorcist. That's actually kind of surprising to me. It, it is to me, too. They uh, present it in, in the articles as, of course, it was The Exorcist, mm-hmm. but I, yeah, I, I agree. You would think that the church especially the high-ranking officials would you know be more likely to be like no no you know that's kind of a a hollywood take on things and let's not you know blow this out of proportion and stuff like that so but why 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 was it his favorite uh he thought it was substantially correct and based on true events although the special effects were exaggerated in an interview with the London Sunday Telegraph, Amort stressed that people need to know what we do. Amort died at the age of 91 on the 16th of September 2016, a short time after he was hospitalized for pulmonary complications. So, just a pulmonary would be a lung issue. So, in October 2000, it was reported that he had performed over 50,000 exorcisms, which ranged from what he said was a few minutes to several hours in length <laughs> I, I, in March. I like that. Uh, that immediately calls to mind like the intro scene from the Keanu Reeves Constantine movie. Mm, I love that movie, but I can't remember the okay. beginning. It's, he goes into like this apartment complex and there's, he mm-hmm. does a, a an exorcism on this kid where he puts a mirror over them. And pulls the demon mm-hmm. into the mirror. Mm. But he does it so fast. Like he's lighting a cigarette as he walks up. And he puts the lit cigarette on the edge of the dresser. And he's uh-huh. like. It's like showing as he's doing it. The cigarette burning down. So it's uh-huh. like so fast. He's like alright I have time. Like I don't even need to put this out. I'm just going to put it here. And I'm good. Like yeah, I like some it. badassery in action. Yeah I mean that movie was. That was a good movie. I like that movie. Even though it's, like, not true to the character of Constantine that much. Mm-hmm. Like, Constantine and the... Con- Constantine's a comic book character. I don't know if a lot of people realize that. Yeah. Yeah, he's a, like, smart-ass English guy. Blonde English guy. So a little bit different from Keanu Reeves. A little bit. But, like, the stuff of, like, what he does, you know, and the kind of way he interacts with people is pretty true to the movie. But the behavior's a little off. But it was still really... I like that movie a lot. I think it's very underrated. I've shown it to a couple people, and they're like, how How did I miss this? Yeah. Like, what happened? Like, where, how did this go under the radar? Yeah, the scene where the uh, one guy gets the tip of the Spear of Destiny and is, you know, it's like he dug it up under a 
nasty old train bridge in bumfuck Mexico somewhere. And he's walking, and then this car comes out of nowhere going 100 miles an hour, just smashes him, and he just gets up and walks away. That's a, a powerful scene. Yeah. So, yeah. but yeah, if you haven't seen Constantine, what are you guys doing? <laughs> I mean, if if you're listening to this podcast, you need to go watch that movie because Keanu Reeves is one of the most kick-ass human beings that you know is alive right now. So go out and support his stuff. He's definitely not Hollywood, which we love. So, mm-hmm. but in March 2010. Uh, Mort said that the number had increased to about 70,000. So I don't know about you, but when I'm doing these, you know, writing the beginning, the intro to these episodes, I have to go back and say, okay, well, last week we did this. It was season two episode, whatever. So I need to know this episode is season or is uh, episode 10 or, or whatever. But I have to go back and look. Could you imagine, like, what does he have, a, a tally marks on his wall that go up to 70,000? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's that's a lot. I mean, you know, talk about a man uh, overestimating size. I think mm-hmm. 70,000 might be a bit up there. But, yeah. you know, uh, but by May 2013, he said he had performed 160,000 exorcisms in the course of his ministry. So let's see. Hold on. I am actually doing the math on this right now. Okay. I was going to say, you're good at math. Um, I am not. All right. So he said he had originally done 70,000. In 2010. And he had gone up to 160,000 in 2013. So he did, what, uh, 90,000 exorcisms in three years. Three years and two months. So that would be 70, basically 78 a day. So, we could also say if he's awake, uh, hold on, if he's awake 16 hours a day, that's 4.8 exorcisms every hour that he's awake. Yeah, so that's, uh, we struggle with that a little bit, and we talk about how the church kind of inflates things or, you know, maneuvers numbers to their advantage. Okay, another, um... Another movie reference. Do you remember Bruce Almighty? Yes. Remember the scene where he's like walking down the street and he like points and like this girl's skirt blows up and he points and like the top of this fire hydrant blows off so these kids can play in the water, stuff like that. Mm. Maybe that's how he does exorcisms. He's just like Mm -hmm. walking down the street like to get his coffee and he's like, boom, you're exercised. Nice. Right? It could just be. I guess. It's his way of saying I did a shit. Yeah, work. he's estimating wrong, or maybe he's just like, oh, there are probably like, you know, ten demons that I got out of that one person, so that count that one counts as ten or something like that. And you're exactly right. That's what what he uses to come up with these numbers is that yeah, he can pull ten out here, thirty out mm-hmm. here, and puts those all together and counts each demon as an exorcism, which I guess makes sense. Yeah. I mean yeah, kind of. So, according to Amort, each exorcism does not represent a victim of possession, but rather each exorcism is counted as a prayer or ritual alone, and some possession victims require hundreds of exorcisms. Edward Peters, a professional of canon law, finds Amort's claim to have performed 30,000 exorcisms over nine years as astounding, which may be a nice way of calling bullshit. Yeah, maybe. Uh, 
Even accepting Amort's claim that only 94 of his 30,000 exorcisms represented full-blown possession, and obviously we're stepping back in time a little bit here, uh, you know, back before he claimed 70,000 and back before he claimed 160,000. But he said that would have required roughly one case a month to be thoroughly examined and processed over nine years with hardly a break. So take it for what you want. I mean, the numbers necessarily uh, don't make that much of a difference. It kind of calls into question his credibility to me a little bit, but I don't know. That, that's just me. What do you think? I think I agree. Amort believed that a person may be possessed by more than one demon at once, sometimes numbering in the thousands, which is what accounts for the high number of reputed demons exercised. He attributed the number of exorcisms performed to his opinion that, quote, people have lost faith and superstition, magic, Satanism, or Ouija boards have taken its place, which then open all the doors to the presence of demons. And... I mean, I think we've kind of talked about that. Um, I, I don't know that superstition necessarily leads to possession or, you know, just certain types of magic. But certainly we've talked about Ouija boards and, and how that opens the door. So that's what we've warned you about. I also have honestly had a fear of like handling objects since seeing Constantine. Mm-hmm. It's like something that's been in the back of my mind. Because all that, all that guy you're talking about, this like random, just dude in Mexico somehow digs it up. It's mm-hmm. like wrapped in a Nazi flag or something, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and he digs it up, and as soon as he touches it, that's it. And I feel like there are mm-hmm. a lot of stories like that. You know, they come into contact with some object. Right. Yeah. And so it's like I'm very careful about touching certain things. And you would have to think that maybe a demon associated with somebody's ring is a little bit different than you know you, you would think satan himself would be attached to the spear of destiny right amort offered the following guidelines to those exercising the right of exorcism any such person must be highly regarded for his prayer life faith acts of charity and judgment in addition he must rely solely on the quote, word of God and traditional prayer, be completely detached from monetary concerns, profoundly humble, and treasure obscurity. So, in my opinion, someone who is profoundly humble and treasures obscurity would not be so open to speaking publicly. But I also think that there could be a very real possibility that the reason he's doing it is because he believes what he's doing is real, whether you guys believe it or not. And he is trying to kind of tell people like, Hey, this is what can happen if you, you know, follow these paths. And this has happened to 30,000, 70,000, 160,000 people. You can be a victim too. It can happen to you. It's not just like one in every 280 million people gets possessed. It's one out of, you know, maybe a million or 600,000 or something like Mm -hmm. that. So the odds are not as much in your favor as you might think. So his 
favorite quote was, well, his favorite verse, I guess, was freely you have received, freely give. And that's Matthew 10, 8. He said that the new rite of exorcism is a farce, an incredible obstacle that is likely to prevent us from acting against the demon. He remarked that the new exorcism rite forbids exorcisms on people who have been reportedly subjected to evil spells. Amort exclaimed, absurd, evil spells are by far the most frequent causes of possession and evil procured through the demon, at least 90% of cases. So that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, he is basically, in my opinion, saying that in 90% of the cases, it's not even the decisions that you make that open yourself up to demonic possession, mm-hmm. but that someone else can basically cause you to be possessed by demons based on evil spells. And we know that in Italy, you know, it's a little bit more accepted that there's like the evil eye and and things like that. But I do find it interesting that only 10% of the exorcisms he's conducted are done on people that have used an Ouija board or done seances and stuff like that. Yeah. Amort goes on to say that it's as good as telling exorcists they can no longer perform exorcisms. He also noted that it solemnly declares that one should not carry out exorcisms if one is not certain of the presence of the devil, while it is only through exorcism that demons reveal themselves. Fact. Fact. I mean, you can't just go up to someone and be like, hey, are you possessed? And the demon's going to be like, well, yeah, I've got this person. (laughs) I mean, truly, you know, if if a priest is performing an exorcism, he even has trouble getting the names of the the demons. And I, I guess the church, in his opinion, is saying that you should be able to tell that someone's been possessed before you actually try and call out the demons, which seems difficult. Yeah. He considered the new rite a blunt weapon. Efficacious prayers, prayers that had been in existence for 12 centuries, were suppressed and replaced by new ineffective prayers. So, I think what he's talking about is the church, even though apparently they have, you know, increased the number of exorcists out there, are a little bit more concerned with making sure that there's not a medical reason for something like this, which I think is an important safeguard. Obviously, Father Amort is old school, and I think that whether you guys believe it or not, um, that these exorcisms can cure people of things that the medical field might disagree with Mm. Uh, epilepsy is not in need of an exorcism right you know what i mean and i think maybe somebody that's super old school might be like fuck it let's try an exorcism yeah let's see what happens he also said that the devil is in the vatican hey my name is ryan and i'm pretty sure i'm joe and we are the hosts of movie hell a podcast all about movies and pop culture we're two buddies who talk about this stuff anyway and wanted to share our own madness with all of you. Yeah, we have these discussions anyway and rant and rave about movies, TV, and pop culture in general, so why not share it? 
the objective of Movie House is to bring you reviews and discussions of flops to avoid, new stuff to see, and hidden gems that might end up being your new favorite. Whether you're looking for that perfect movie for Friday night or wondering if anybody else found Mr. Nobody as unsettling as you did, I'm sure there's something for everyone to enjoy, and if not, let us know and we can always learn and improve. Ah, boy, do we have room to improve. You can listen to Movie How on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else fine podcasts are curated. There's something going on here. Something evil. Do you love true crime? Can't get enough? You need to check out Exploring Evil, the true crime podcast that covers lesser-known and international serial killers, bizarre murders, and murders with a paranormal twist. Did you know there was a serial killer who only killed murderers and pedophiles? The real-life Dexter is covered in a recent episode of Exploring Evil. You can find Exploring Evil on your favorite podcast platform. So, in an article by Clark Benson of ABC News on March 11, 2010, I'm just going to read a few excerpts from this article. So, inside his small third-floor office at Vatican City, the Reverend Gabriel Lamort prepares for his next client. In the corner is a bed with restraining ropes. On the walls, pictures of the Virgin Mary. Near an armchair, there is a Bible and other copies of prayers. Kind of a scene you would expect to see in a Hollywood movie. In a rare interview with the Italian newspaper La Repubblica, <laughs> La Repubblica, La Repubblica. I know I like the first way you did it. All right, Amort strongly defends his work and that of the Association of Exorcist. The devil is not everywhere, he says, but when he is present, it is painful. At this point, he had said that he had treated over seventy thousand cases of demonic possession, and he says, "quote." The devil is pure spirit, invincible. He is shown with the painful blasphemies coming from the person which he possesses. He can stay hidden. He can speak different languages. He can transform himself, Amort says. It can take six or seven of Amort's assistants to hold down someone possessed. Often, he says, they choke up nails or shards of glass. So that was something that I found very interesting. This is not something that I remember being in the movie, The Exorcist, but it would have been a really good scene, you know, if, if she was basically coughing up nails. Yeah, I've never heard of anything like that before. I'm not, I'm not sure I've ever heard of a case where that happened. No. None of this scares me, he says, touching a small pouch where he holds the vomited artifacts. I know that God is using me for this work. But even the fearless priest becomes still, his voice grave when asked whether the devil can strike inside the Vatican City. Father Amort said, quote, He has tried already. He did it in 1981 by attacking Pope John Paul II by working with those who armed Ali Agka. And so now with the attack on Christmas Eve night when the crazy woman pushed down Pope Benedict XVI, his face serious, the many lines on his face clear, Amort confesses, the devil resides in the Vatican. While admitting that it is hard to prove, he says the consequences of the devil's work are evident. 
cardinals who don't believe in Jesus, bishops who are linked with the devil. In 1972, Pope Paul VI talked about the quote, smoke of Satan that hovered in the Vatican. But it is more recent events like the pedophilia scandal the church is confronted with and the grisly murder by a Swiss guard of his commander and wife that Amort uses as evidence of the devil's presence. Pope Benedict XVI is a proponent of the work of exorcists, and Amort says the Pope is committed to helping him receive a recommendation from the church's congregation of the divine cult that will confirm each and every Catholic diocese in the world that they should have at least one exorcist on its staff. There are differences of opinion about exorcism inside the church, La Repubblica adds. Some are skeptical, some suspicious, others resistant. I believe bishops who don't appoint exorcists are committing a mortal sin, said Father Amort. The table in his office is covered with small bottles of medicines. He says that he relies heavily on lay people to assist him in his efforts. He has moved offices more than 23 times after fellow priests complained of the screams from his office at all hours of the day and night. And I, I'm kind of like, I kind of, I don't want to say I have OCD about it because I don't want, like, it's not real OCD, mm. but I hate when people make estimates in strange numbers, you know, like performed more than 23 times. It's kind of like, well, maybe more than 20 times or maybe around 25 times but when you say more than 23 do you mean exactly 24 yeah. or did you do 23 and a half you know it's it's just a weird uh, it's a, stat. yeah it's a strange like baseline to put on it slamming doors overturning chairs rolling eyes and vomiting are part of the exorcist's daily routine some have vomited metal the size of a human finger Others had vomited rose petals, he says. The exorcist guide is the scriptures. His tools are prayer. More than 90% of the cases of people who are possessed come from spells, he says. People with anger, vendettas, seek out magicians to cast spells and they are paid handsomely. The fact that the devil has penetrated the halls of the Vatican should make the most reverend of Catholics shudder. Not so, according to Amort and his colleagues, their work is to protect you. The principal responsibility of the exorcist is to free man from the fear of the devil. Noted film critic Pauline Kael, is that how you pronounce that? Reviewed William, yeah, reviewed William Friedkin's 1973 supernatural thriller The Exorcist in the January 7th, 1974 edition of The New Yorker, expressing criticism for its lack of emotion as well as a kind of admiration for the film. The movie may be in the worst imaginable taste, that is, an utterly unfeeling movie about miracles, but it's also the biggest recruiting poster the Catholic Church has had since the sunnier days of Going My Way and the Bells of St. Mary's, she wrote. Now Friedkin is back, 45 years later, with a documentary titled The Devil and Father Amort, about the ministry of Pauline Father Gabriel Amort, who served as an exorcist of the Rome Diocese for over 30 years. After reviewing the backstory and filming of the Exorcist film, Friedkin goes on to explore the rite of exorcism. In fact, about 17 minutes of the film are dedicated to the ninth exorcism of Christina, a 46-year-old woman, an architect from southern Italy. There are also interviews with Nadia, who was successfully liberated of demonic possession by Amort and her brother Paolo, who became Amort's assistant. The film, made in 2016, was not completed until after Amort's death at the age of 91 in September of that year. 
Amort was unable to complete the exorcism of Christina, as exorcisms often take many lengthy and intense sessions over weeks, months, or even years. He first carried out exorcisms in a room in an old part of the Lateran Palace that contains La Scala Santa, or the steps that Jesus walked up to meet Pilate in Jerusalem. According to tradition, the steps were brought to Rome in the 4th century by St. Helena, mother of Constantine. When the noise created during exorcisms began to disturb pilgrims climbing the holy stairs on their knees, Amort moved his ministry to the residence of the Society of St. Paul near the Queen of Apostles in Rome. And when we say St. Helena, mother of Constantine, just to be clear, we're not talking about the comic book or the movie. We're actually talking about the Emperor Constantine. Right. Good catch. I didn't even think about that. In the film, Amor carries out the exorcism of Christina in a meeting room of the residents of the Pauline community. Friedkin shows the exorcism footage to various medical and psychiatric experts in New York, Tel Aviv, and Los Angeles. He asks about the symptoms Christina exhibits and if there are any scientific explanations for her condition. One neurosurgeon shows that a tumor might cause hyper-religiosity in a patient, but that this was probably not the case with Christina. Three of the experts allow that there is something going on with Christina that they cannot explain. One team of doctors seems satisfied with treating similar symptoms in their patients with medication and therapy. The most interesting interview is between Friedkin and Los Angeles Auxiliary Bishop Robert Barron. Let's let's talk for just a second. Sure. Um, so, Christina is a not altogether unattractive 45-year-old architect and they're in this William Friedkin film which okay I'm thinking if you know William Friedkin is making a, a film he's got some pull still from The Exorcist even though that was 1973 he's still got some Hollywood pull mm-hmm. and he is allowed to witness some of this exorcism and film it. In the film, uh, Christina's boyfriend is holding her down, not like she's not tied down. Uh, He's not like laying on top of her or anything like that. She's sitting in a chair kind of leaning back and he has his hand on her shoulders and then at some point, uh, not around her neck, but like has his arm down and around her chest and she is writhing but by no means is she powering through this man's grip Mm. you know what i mean it's not like a situation where there's 10 people holding her down and she's trying to float away or anything like that but in this episode i will play some of the audio from that exorcism and i will let you guys be the judge on if you think that this audio is legit or doctored in some way. Vieni 
Dile quoi è Il Signore Gesù t'ha fissato il giorno d'andartene. No! Non te l'ha fissato ancora? Non te l'ha fissato? No! Ma lui a fissarlo perché tu non conti una cicca. Ovvero un conto... Ma... E' la mia! E' la mia! E' la mia! It's a little confusing when the bishop says that the devil is good. When Friedkin asks if Baron would carry out an exorcism, Baron expresses his fear of doing so and states that he is not spiritual enough. It's an interesting. Interesting. Thing to say, yeah. A bishop of one of the biggest cities in the world is not holy enough to perform an exorcism. Right. So just keep that in mind. The greatest qualities of an exorcist are humility and faith, not perfection. What Baron does make clear is that before an exorcism is carried out, the person is examined by a team of people, including medical doctors and psychiatrists, in order to rule out natural causes before examining the spiritual. Amort rightly says in the film that he can only be sure the person is possessed by the devil once he begins the exorcism and the devil reacts to the invocation of Jesus, Mary, the saints, and other elements of the rite of exorcism. And when he's saying the devil, I think that he's just referring to demons being under the control of the devil right. as well. It's not necessarily that he's saying it's actually the devil. Right, as a singular entity, right. Some exorcists express disappointment and concern that Amort gave Friedkin permission to film the exorcism in the first place. Friedkin says that Amort was the most spiritual man he had ever met and that knowing him enriched his life. We know there is evil and good in the world, and that if there are demons, there must also be angels, concludes Friedkin. All right. You ready for this? Oh, God. This conspiracy theory? Yeah. You may not be ready. All right. I'm not saying I believe this, so it's just something that I'm throwing out there. First of all, I am Catholic. I do believe that uh, Catholic exorcisms work on demons. So let me put that out there to start with. Think about this for a second. Okay, so Amort says the devil is in the Vatican. And he gives some examples as to why he thinks so. But that's a very, very powerful statement because it's almost leaving open the possibility that there are people inside the Vatican that are either evil in general, working for the devil or Satan, or being possessed by demons. So that's what I take when he says the devil is in the Vatican. But what about this? All right, so we know that the Catholic Church has had its share of issues, right? The Inquisition. There, I'm sure, are many cases of the Catholic Church saying this person's a witch. This person is evil and and not trying to perform an exorcism on the person that they consider to be evil, which doesn't make sense to me. Mm. But if the Catholic Church is evil in itself, right, maybe the reason that exorcisms work so well for the Catholic Church and not so much for the Protestant Church and not so much for other religions, because it seems at least in pop culture and things that you and I have probably heard that Catholic exorcisms are the ones that 
are successful. Mm-hmm. Agreed? Yeah. So what if the devil says, you know what? I want everyone to follow the Catholic Church because we've got some pull in the Catholic Church. So he says, listen, demons, if a Protestant priest comes and tries to exercise you, don't go. If a Jewish priest or rabbi, I guess, comes to exercise you, don't go. But we want people to follow the Catholic Church. So if a Catholic priest comes to exercise you, give them a fight, show them how tough you are, and then leave. And that will make people say, oh, well, the Catholic Church is the true church. I put this in the realm of, say you open a convenience store on Fifth Street somewhere, and these thugs come in, uh, gang members, we'll say, Crips, Bloods, you know, whatever, come in and knock stuff off your shelves, and they say, hey, you're going to be giving us $1,000 a month or you're going to be losing $10,000 in merchandise a month. And that person that runs that store says, oh, okay, well, I, I guess I have to do what I have to do. But then the mafia comes in and says, hey, we're going to keep these guys out of your way for $500 a month. Well, they're both evil, right? Yeah. But one is a little bit more doable. So it doesn't mean that the mafia is coming in and saying, hey, no, that's not right. We're not going to let these people do this. They're coming in and saying, yeah, we want some money too. We're going to make it worth your while to get rid of these uh, evil entities, you know, the Crips, the Bloods, whatever the gang is that's coming in. And that paints the mafia in a positive light as kind of the savior for that business or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I kind of, I I just wonder if it's not the same thing here. What, What do you think about that? I have never thought of anything like that before. I, I think though that I've seen and heard of cases of rabbis exercising demons. I think there are demons that are specific to, Judaism, the Dibbix, yeah, stuff like that, and that have Hebrew names and things like that. So, but yeah, I've, I've, I have realized that most of the time, what's depicted is the Catholic way of doing things, and the, you know, the Catholic Church, Catholic exorcists, that sort of thing. I never mm-hmm. thought of it as being, you know, something where, where the the entities are pushing you that way too. Mm-hmm. To be like, to pretend that that affects them more than others or whatever. That's a really interesting idea. And like I said, I'm not saying that I necessarily believe it, but I'm just trying to look at all the angles here. Yeah. Because unfortunately, it seems like the more we study the Catholic Church, the Vatican, we come up with these things that are very negative and very... I guess just evil, you know, the, the Catholic faith is a beautiful thing and probably 99% of the Catholic people out there are amazing, wonderful people Mm. who are, you know, doing all these things for all the right reasons. But it, it does give me a little pause for concern when, you know, one of the most powerful entities in the world 
Behaving in a nefarious way, perhaps. Sure. Power corrupts. Right. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. And you are put in a position as a Catholic in general, as this is the person. uh, They say that the Pope speaks directly to God. And that that is the person you follow. What they say is right. You don't question it. These are things that are taught in the Catholic Church. Don't question things. Just accept. We actually had um, at one of my daughter's uh, PSR meetings, which is parish school religion for, it's like Sunday school kind of for Catholics that don't go to a Catholic school Mm -hmm. so they can get their Catholic education. And one of the guys that was giving a speech actually told everyone not to think about things just pray don't think just pray and here i am i'm actually wearing a t-shirt that i made that says think because i want people to think and when someone tells you not to think to me god gave us the ability to reason and to have free will And when someone is telling you not to use the gifts and the tools that God gave you, that's a bad sign to me. And this person was not a priest. They were not an official part of the Catholic Church. I think it was a Knights of Columbus guy. And But that was being put out there to my child, don't think. And that is what leads to absolute power and absolute corruption if you just blindly follow somebody i mean we've seen it throughout history all you have to do is look at the nazis and they were convinced of all these things that just weren't true and they followed blindly and millions of people died and i know that that wasn't uh, necessarily considered a communist regime i guess but we can look right now at china and russia and do you want to live in china or russia i mean anybody that would say that has to be not thinking and it is amazing to me the amount of people that lock onto an idea and not a reality sure i would love for no one to be homeless in the United States. I would love that. But there's also a a group of people, not any particular demographic, but just people that are struggling in life that don't want to work. They want to be taken care of. They want to be told what's safe. They want to be told what to do. They want to be told how to think. Don't think, just pray. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a scary thing for me to hear. Yeah, yeah. Don't think. I mean, and I've heard a lot of, um, you know, what, what would you call them? Like a fable? Mm-hmm. Story that conveys a message or morals, something like that. Sure. And A parable? Yeah, I've had, I've known people who've been like, no, I'm, I'm not going to try to fix the situation. I'm just going to pray. Like, literally. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going right. to try to do the, you know, it's like, Oh, this thing's going on and it's bad. Mm -hmm. It's like, all right, then what are you going to do to fix it? It's like, well, I'm going to pray on it. And it's like, and Mm -hmm. what do you 
think you might do after that? Like, are you looking for inspiration? And it reminds me of this, you know, thing that I read a long time ago that was like, um, you know, it's like one of these jokes. Like a guy is in a flood and he's sitting on his roof and a boat comes up and the guy's like, hey, we got to get out of here. You know, the floodwaters are rising like you, you got to get out of here. And he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm waiting for God to save me. I'm praying God, God will save me. So the guy leaves. Another boat comes by. Same thing. God will save me. Don't don't worry about it. A helicopter comes by, like tries to drop a ladder down, but the guy refuses to grab it. And then when he dies and he meets God, he's like, why didn't you save me? And he's like, what are you talking about? I sent you two boats and a helicopter. What else did you want? Right. It's like you have to recognize. It's just, it's It goes back to what you said. Like if you believe that God or whatever particular deity you believe in, whether that's god big g or something else mm-hmm. like if you believe that the world is created the way it is for a reason then you were given the faculties that you have and the resources you have for a reason yeah and you shouldn't just be waiting for things to happen for you you should recognize the opportunities presented to you as an extension of you know what you're supposed to be doing or what you're supposed to have yeah perfect you you can't throw a line in the water with a hook and no worm and expect to catch a fish because you pray that you get something to eat. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite lines ever, my aunt is a nun and she's very, um, I guess, progressive, even though I don't like that term, uh, for someone in the church. Uh, She's in her 70s and like her quote, I'm sure she heard it somewhere, but you know, I'm going to attribute it to her. She says, God helps those that help themselves. Mm-hmm. And I, I use that, you know, my dad has been really, really bad off with the heart condition and all that. And he was considering not getting a defibrillator put in. And, you know, he honestly didn't want to go through the surgery and the pain and the rehab and all that, which is understandable. But he tried to use the excuse for not wanting to get the surgery is, well, God's just going to take me whenever he wants to take me. It doesn't matter what kind of surgeries I get or, you know, anything like that. And I just said, God helps those that help themselves. And I, I, I mean, I can't think of a truer statement with what we've just talked about. Like with you saying, I sent the boats, I sent the helicopter, you know, help yourself. You got to do something on your own too. Uh-huh. Don't just rely on me for everything. And we talk about virtue signaling sometimes where, you know, people put a Ukrainian flag on their Facebook page. Like, I support the Ukraine. Well, what do you do? Do you do you just click a button that puts a little flag on your picture? Or do you actually donate time or donate goods or, or anything like that? Or do you just virtue signal and say, oh, I support the Ukraine? It's... It's ridiculous to me that you would just pray for something. You pray for certain things. Give us this day our daily bread. That doesn't mean that God is going to be like, well, shit, I'm going to send you a $10,000 gift card to Walmart food pantry. It means no, he'll provide the minimum of what you need, but you got to do some shit yourself too. You know, it's just like with any kid. Uh, you know, we're basically as children. So, you know, you're not going to want your kid to rely completely on you. You want them to have their own experiences, forge their own way in this world, 
do good things on their own, uh, you're not just going to completely control them. And we're given free will for, for just that reason. Mm -hmm. So we can have, make the choice to do the good things, the right things. Um, but yeah, so that's my, yeah, no, you, but what you were just saying reminds me a lot of a line from Smallville. Do you remember that show? Okay. I do. There's an interview scene with Oliver Queen where it's revealed, you know, publicly revealed that he's the green arrow and they're basically Mm -hmm. like, Oh, what did you just get tired of counting your money? So you decided to go play cops and robbers or whatever. Uh And he has this really good, um, comeback about like, I'm actually out there doing something. Good morning, Metropolis. We have a very special show for you this morning. We have an exclusive interview with a very special guest who needs no introduction. Metropolis's infamous bad boy and self-admitted practicing vigilante, Oliver Queen. Or should I say the Green Arrow? What's on your answering machine? Yes. It's not every day a billionaire admits to parading around in leather playing cops and robbers. Why do it? Seriously, you're just getting too bored sitting around counting your money, decided to play dress up and it just stuck. How does that work exactly? I think our audience would like some answers. I lost someone. She meant everything to me. So, uh, for that, you want, what, a a merit badge and special rights? No. No, you're right, I'm not special. This isn't about who I am, it's about what I do. And I, I don't think I'm the first rich boy who felt that way. It was John F. Kennedy who once said, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. So now you're, you're comparing yourself to a fallen hero of this country? No, why not? He saw the hero in all of us. I'm not dwelling on revenge for past atrocities or looking ahead to what I can personally gain from a few tax breaks. In this world of armchair bloggers who created a generation of critics instead of leaders, I'm actually doing something right here, right now, for the city, for my country. And I'm not doing it alone. It's super relevant today, I think. You know, I mean, given that the show was out, what, 10 years ago originally, maybe more. And it's Mm -hmm. still like it's a line that you know just it you're bringing it back to my mind now talking about the war in ukraine but yeah there's there's a lot of people who want to talk without actually doing anything mm-hmm. and there are there are a lot of people who are actually doing something right now you know this isn't to offend anybody who's actually been you know putting their money where their mouth is so to speak right right but there are a lot of people who are like you know, like there was a like a comic strip that I read, I think, in the like the Wall Street Journal, uh, mm-hmm. something like that. It's like, you know, the little kid who's like, you know, could you it's like a, like a little poor kid who's begging. And mm-hmm. he's like walking up to this woman at like, a, you know, a Starbucks. It's a little it's like a two frame thing. This kid walks in with like a cup and he's like, you know, could you please donate something like to poor or starving children or whatever? And she just looks mm-hmm. down and pats him on the head, and she's like, "Oh, I already gave a like on Facebook." Hmm. Hmm. Very true. 
And the Catholic Church does a lot of good in the world, for sure. But we will cover Mother Teresa on an episode at some point. And here's the thing. If you're going to donate money, you want to know where that money's going. It's the same with taxes. We're donating this money so we can have a, a good society to live in. But why are you sending trillions of dollars to Pakistan for a gender study when you have military heroes, heroes that are sleeping on the street and doing heroin because they can't get out of that funk. And you're not helping them, but we're doing gender studies in Pakistan. It's about how you use the money. But that's what concerns me with the Catholic Church. Now, we do donate, and the Catholic Church does a lot of good stuff. But like with Mother Teresa, she had millions and millions and millions of dollars coming directly because of what she was allegedly doing to help these lepers. But they slept on shit-covered mats on a stone floor. They reused needles. They washed their dirty linens in the same sink they washed their dishes in. And it's like, man, I donated $2,000. That'll buy a shit ton of good needles or yeah. you know good washing machines or, or whatever so where's that money going i don't know i think that's why a lot of people don't donate because they just they don't trust where that money's going because you donate you know as a country say we donate 10 million dollars to aid in the ukraine our two million of those dollars go to help the people in the ukraine eight million go to the people who are setting up the charity and the people that are you know getting kickbacks on on certain things and it's maddening you you it's hard to do it keeps getting more and more difficult to try and do the right thing it seems hmm. yeah i mean when, when you tithe there's no you're not voting on where that money goes so right. it's hard to try you have to you, you have to have faith essentially that they're going to do the right thing with it and you have to think about what they're doing with it to know if that's something that you want to continue to donate to. I walk my dog every day and, and I see Ukrainian flags out in front of people's houses. And I really, I'm so tempted to just sneak up to their front porch and see where that flag was made. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you go to uh, a, a store you know, it's going to be 4th of July. You're like, oh, sweet. Here's a USA t-shirt with some fireworks and a flag on it. Oh, it's made in China. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. But I guess we kind of got off on a, yeah. on a tangent I like, I like a little tangents, bit. Though. Hopefully our yeah. listeners aren't too pissed about it. Well, I, I think we covered a lot of important things. And the devil and Father Amort. The video is available on YouTube. I think it's an hour and eight minutes. And this is another thing that kind of bugged me about it. It takes place in Italy, okay? So a lot of the people that they're interviewing only speak Italian. Fine. No problem, right? I can go on Word here with the, with the notes and probably click a button and it'll pop up in Cantonese or Arabic. Or whatever but he doesn't put any subtitles in the movie yeah so for about 45 minutes of the movie 
you are seeing people interviewed. He's asking them a question in English. It's being translated. They're answering, but there's no subtitles or interpretation of what the person is saying, which, I mean, hey, yeah, yeah, great for Italy, but it's not going to do so much to sell your movie in the United States or England or New Zealand or Australia or Canada or some of the biggest markets in the world. And it's also not going to do any good for people in China or Russia or the Ukraine that don't speak Italian. So it seems like a real big ball drop to me to not translate. But before we wrap it up here, there is one more story I want to talk about that happened with William Friedkin and uh, Father Amort. After Father Amort passed away and Christina's exorcism was incomplete, uh, well, first of all, they thought her exorcism was complete, and then her brother Paolo wanted to be blessed, right, by this famous powerful priest. And it makes sense that there are more powerful priests and less powerful priests, and Father Amort would probably be considered one of the most powerful, right? So he's doing this, just a blessing. You know, he's not doing an exorcism. He's just blessing this person. And then boom, she snaps back into her possession and starts screaming and, you know, writhing again. After Father Amort passed, William Friedkin wanted to get back in touch with this Christina lady, uh, knowing that, that the exorcism that Father Amort performed on her did not work, you know, at, at least completely and so he is going to meet her in Italy at um, a a fairly I don't think it was the Vatican but it it was a fairly you know there's big huge famous Catholic churches all over Italy but he was going to meet her at one and then she called him and said where are you and he said I'm at the you know this place and she's like no we're doing it here so he had to, this is a, an obscure church in the mountains uh, of a tiny village in southern Italy. And he and his associate, I'm assuming possibly, you know, just like a production associate or maybe a, an extra cameraman, uh, something like that. They go into this church and the lights are all turned off and they hear her and her boyfriend screaming at them from the shadows and they didn't say he didn't bring the camera into the church uh, for whatever reason but he claims that they are basically screaming at him in English to not show the film to not follow up on this exorcism at all and he said that he was absolutely terrified and he and his associate backed out of the church, basically ran away and never tried to contact her again. So I don't know. That's just an interesting aside. But if, if you have, uh, you know, an hour to kill and you want to pop it on YouTube, you can fast forward through the parts of the, you know, the Italian interviews and just look at the interviews with the English speaking people and at the exorcism itself. So it's worth a look. 
All right. So do you have any other final thoughts? No, I think we had enough tangents. We even got into Constantine, Bruce Almighty, and Smallville. Right. (laughs) Whenever you can work Bruce Almighty in. Yeah. Well, that's all we've got for you on the Vatican's Exorcist. Click that subscribe button and tell a friend. And don't forget to check out Movie Howl and Exploring Evil and have pleasant dreams. If anyone is interested, after a quick break, we'll read some of the English version of some of the real rites of exorcism. So after certain prayers, the priest will command the demon as follows. I command you, unclean spirit, whoever you are, along with all your minions now attacking the servant of God. By the mysteries of the incarnation, passion, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. By the descent of the Holy Spirit, by the coming of our Lord for judgment, that you tell me by some sign your name and the day and hour of your departure. I command you, moreover, to obey me to the letter, I who am a minister of God despite my unworthiness. Nor shall you be emboldened to harm in any way this creature of God or the bystanders or any of their possessions. I cast you out, unclean spirit, along with every satanic power of the enemy, every specter from hell, and all of your fell companions, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Be gone and stay far from this creature of God. For it is he who commands you, he who flung you headlong from the heights of heaven into the depths of hell. It is he who commands you, he who once stilled the sea and the wind and the storm. Hearken, therefore, and tremble in fear, Satan, you enemy of the faith, you foe of the human race, you begetter of death, you robber of life. You corrupter of justice, you root of all evil and vice, seducer of men, betrayer of the nations, instigator of envy, font of avarice, fomenter of discord, author of pain and sorrow. Why then do you stand and resist, knowing as you must that Christ the Lord brings your plans to nothing? Fear him, who in Isaac was offered in sacrifice, in Joseph sold into bondage, slain as the paschal lamb, crucified as man, yet triumphed over the powers of hell. Be gone then in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Give place to the Holy Spirit by the sign of the Holy Cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with the Father and the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. So, I just wanted to put that out there for you guys to listen to if you wanted to. It's it's similar to what we see in a lot of movies, but I just thought it might be interesting for you guys to hear some of the actual prayers of the rite of exorcism.